Chandana karite mui kata shakti dhari, tamo budi doshe mui dhamba matra kori, tathapi mukhera bhagya mane raulas, doshak shami modame koroni jadas. So yeah, well, welcome everybody. Uh, Braj and Shraddha, good to see you, and uh, anyone who's online. Um, so uh, today we're going to finish um, song two of Srila Narottam Das Thakur's Prema Bhakti Chandraka, which if you've been following this series, you know we've spent the last three or four sessions on. Um, and then we're going to put this study on hold uh, for a little while, because I'd like to switch it up to uh, an in-depth Bhagavad Gita study, so hopefully with more of a study group format, but we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Um, but so far in Prema Bhakti Chandraka, we've heard about the importance of the guru and the sadhus, and then the focus was shifted in this song uh, to refining our spiritual practice uh, to become an ekanta or one-pointed uh, in pursuit of Uttama Bhakti, the topmost bhakti. So that, the pursuit of that, of course, is a journey. Uh, it's not just, okay, click your fingers, we're there. Uh, so we start to build the stage of Sharanagati initially in the heart um, so that pure love can truly enter there. And so this includes uh, accepting favorable things and rejecting the unfavorable things for bhakti. And so we heard a few, few sessions back, uh, Srila Narutam speak about this uh, in his second song. And uh, in the course of this, accepting those favorable things, rejecting the unfavorable things and engaging in the practices of bhakti and so on, then our lower propensities will be uprooted. So these things that stop us attaining our real wealth or fortune or artha, so artha is wealth, as you may know. And so anartha, those things that misdirect us from this wealth, misdirect us from this fixed one-pointed devotion that we're aspiring for. Uh, so we heard many remedies last time uh, from Srila Narutam Das Thakur. Uh, and apart from engaging our lower tendencies in pursuit of Krishna, Srila Narutam, he especially emphasized uh, taking shelter of Sadhu Sangha and of Krishna Nam, so good association and the holy name. And so today, in the final section of this song, uh, Srila Narutam Das, uh, he's going to describe the outcome of this. And so the outcome of this uh, is Naishtika Bhajan, or steady, uh, focused, one-pointed bhakti. Um, so as you know, if you've been following uh, in the last few sessions, we've already read this song uh, too in its entirety. So I'm just going to read the verses that we're going to focus on today, and then we'll discuss them. So from verse 16 onwards. Apana apana pata tate hobo anurata. Ishta deva stane lilagana, naishtika bhajanai, tomare kohilo bai, anumantahate praman. O oh dear brother or oh sister, my mind, be continuously engaged on the path of devotional worship and be attached to glorifying the pastimes of Sri Krishna in Vrindavan. Serve him without deviation and sing the glories of his pastimes. This process of devotional service is known as steady devotional service. The prime example of this exclusive devotion to one's worshipable deity is Hanuman. Sri Nate Janaki Nate Chabheda Paramatmanihi Tatapi Mamasaravasvam Rama Kamala Lochana. Hanuman said, although he is not different 
from Lord Narayan, the husband of Lakshmi Devi. Lotus-eyed Lord Ram alone, the husband of Sita Devi, is the be-all and end-all of my life. He is my all in all. Deva 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 Loka Pitra Loka Payatara Mahasuka Sadhu Sadhu Bole Anukshana Yugalabha Janayara Premanande Bhase Tara Tahara Nichani Tribhuvan. Those who worship their divine lordships, Sri Sri Radha Krishna, float in the ocean of ecstatic love, and the inhabitants of all the three worlds worship such persons. The demigods and the forefathers become greatly pleased and shower their blessings, saying, well done, well done. Uh, another translation that I'm fond of for that verse, verse 18, uh, is as follows. If one attains the planets of the demigods or pittas and enjoys celestial happiness there, then I congratulate him, saying, well done, well done. However, I myself would never strive to attain such a thing. For myself, I'm content simply to worship the divine couple and swim and float in the bliss of pure love for them. This pure love is the most valuable object in the three worlds. Ritakavasa yoga dukamaya vishaya Sorry, wrong, wrong meter. <laughs> Pritakavasa yoga dukamaya vishaya bhoga brajavasa govinda sevana Krishna kata Krishna nama satya satya rasa dhama brajajanera sanga anukshana One should not reside in ordinary places and enjoy material objects which are full of miseries but should live in braj and serve Sri Govinda. The names and topics of Sri Krishna are actually the reservoir of all pleasures, and one should constantly glorify them in the association of the residents of Raj. And another nice translation to this one. One should not reside in ordinary places and enjoy material objects which are full of miseries, but should live in Braj and serve Sri Govinda. The names and topics of Sri Krishna are actually the reservoir of all pleasures, and one should constantly glorify them in the association of the residents of Raj. And in the final verse, Sada Seva Abhilash, Mane Kori Vishoyas, Sarvatai Hoya Nirvaya, Narotame Dase Bole, Padilu Asad Bole, Paritrana Koro Mahashai. In my mind, with firm faith and fearlessness, I always desire the service of their lordships in all respects. Narutam Das prays, O Sri Krishna, the most merciful Lord, I have fallen into miserable material illusion. Please deliver me. And uh, another nice translation. There's often uh, multiple translations and they're all quite nice, hard to choose from. Uh, it goes as follows. In my mind, with firm faith and fearlessness, I always desire the service of their lordships in all respects. Narutam Das prays, O Sri Krishna, most merciful Lord, I have fallen into miserable material illusion. Please deliver me. So as always, uh, so much is there that can be said on, on each of these verses. Uh, and the overriding theme uh, seems, at least to me, 
to be steadiness in bhakti, this nashtika bhakti that he mentions, steadiness. And of course, we've spoken before about nishta, <clears throat> but not only from the point of view of the stage of nishta, but more than that, a steadiness in devotion to one's worshipable Lord in a certain form, so to one's ishtadeva. And so, like I say, we've discussed the stage of nishta in some ways in previous classes on this song. Uh, as we know, it corresponds with humility in the Shikshashtakam. And, and we, we've heard uh, Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur define humility as the absence of the enjoying spirit. So one no longer lives uh, for their own satisfaction in whatever form that that might take. Because, of course, we, we may even be externally going through the motions of bhakti, you know, even seeming very humble to the unaware observer. But the heart may be tinged with some desire for our own satisfaction, you know, our own feeling of position or, or some other subtle enjoyment that is hard to detect on the surface. But the type of humility that we're after is free from the enjoying spirit. So it's only pursuit of the pleasure of Krishna. So in sadhana, the way we do this is we positively cultivate a serving disposition. So we're often encouraged to, to cultivate this, right? We're, we identify as dasanu, dasanu, das, and so on, or we try to, um, to be the servant of the servant of the servant. We cultivate this serving disposition to replace that enjoying spirit. So we can see why the anarthas that were discussed earlier in this song need to be uprooted to be truly fixed in devotion. And we, we can't imitate higher stages, of course. We've got to go from where we are. <laughs> but we strive for them by acting appropriately according to our level of advancement. So Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur, um, he often quotes Srimad Bhagavatam uh, to emphasize this point. He quotes the 11th canto, 21st verse, uh, sorry, 21st chapter, second verse, that says, steadiness in one's own position is declared actual piety, whereas deviation from one's position is considered impiety. In this way, the two are definitely ascertained. Although in one sense, uh, this verse, like the point that um, Krishna makes in the third chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, for example, he says something similar regarding following one's own, duty, own duties uh, imperfectly is better than being um, doing another's duties perfectly. And so, of course, that's in relation to one's role in a Varnashram society generally, although there are, you know, you can look at other meanings of that verse too, but that's the context that it takes place in. But Srila Bhakti Banu Thakur, he applies these to devotional life as well. And so, as he says, real piety is applying oneself steadily according to our level of advancement. So, for example, by Shravanam and Kirtanam, hearing and chanting. And impiety would be imitating a stage that one hasn't actually attained. So Krishna makes the point at the beginning of the seventh chapter of the Bhagavad Gita that hearing is the beginning of attaining him. This, this is how we get the knowledge that impels us to fully surrender to Krishna. We, we get a taste from those who already have a taste. And the spiritual intelligence uh, that is developed more and more. And so this helps us attain steadiness in spiritual practice, this spiritual intelligence. So this steadiness is needed to have a genuine taste for chanting ourselves and other practices ourselves. Our Guru Maharaj, uh, he writes a, a very beautiful answer 
uh, on uh, the Sangha Q&A that relates nicely to this journey. So I'll read it because it relates very nicely to these, these points. If God does exist, proof of this will not be found outside of spiritual practice on terms other than those that God has ordained. In other words, the absolute reveals, it, reveals itself to the sincere spiritual practitioner. In essence, the heart of spiritual practice is giving. Through practical experience, we know that by giving, our consciousness expands, and by taking or exploiting, it contracts. Our task then is to give unconditionally. And for this, two things need to be in place. First of all, we need to know where we can best repose our innate giving tendency. If we are to give without limit to love, we must find the perfect object of love or one who has the capacity to receive unlimitedly. Secondly, to give unlimitedly, we must give without any ulterior motive. We must give without expectation of reward. Scripture tells us that Krishna is the perfect object of love. Indeed, this is what we mean when we speak of Krishna. Once initial faith arises, we must begin our life of giving to the center, Krishna, however imperfectly with regard to our motivation. Gradually, our capacity to give unconditionally will grow as the present material conditions under which we find ourselves and by which we are presently, presently limited are removed by God's grace. These conditions arising from misidentification with matter place us in apparent need and thus hamper our soul's capacity to give. By serving the center in a systematic way as outlined in scripture, our false sense of need will gradually diminish and to the extent that our present conditioning is transcended, we can truly love. In love, secrets are revealed, and one knows what otherwise could never be known. Love is the end of doubt. So yeah, very, very beautiful, many nice points made there. And so that the difficulties that we face in our practice, as we've heard in, in the previous sessions, are our prarabdha karma, our man manifest karma, and of course, we have to tolerate this, um, and we tolerate this while following our Guru's guidance. As, as our Guru Maharaj points out, by doing this, we'll become fixed, and our difficulties actually will start to appear favorable, because we'll understand that they represent our karma that's exhausting itself once and for all. But with more insight, uh, we'll develop the strength to give up our narthas completely, and so on. And so to do this, we have to strengthen our faith. And so hearing is emphasized. Like I say, Krishna points that out in the seventh chapter of the Gita at the beginning. And it's point, obviously it's, uh, it's throughout our Shastras uh, being one of our main practices and the first listed by um, Prahlad Maharaj, for example, when he lists the, the nine main Angas of Bhakti, Navalakshan Bhakti. So in, in a Sangha Q&A, uh, they, they're gold, by the way. Uh, I, rec I recommend everyone reads uh, our Guru Maharaj's Q&A. They've been compiled into PDFs. Um, so you'll find many nice uh, topics there. Um, and so he writes there, 
According to Bhaktivinoda Thakur, the idea is to progress beyond Komal Shraddha, tender faith, by bringing the head and heart together through Sadhu Sangha and the study of scripture. Faith is strengthened, not weakened by the study of Shastra. Nasta Prayeshu Abhadreshu Nityam Bhagavata Sevaya. The Bhakti Shastras with our Acharya's commentaries are expressions of their faith. And it is through these Shastras that our Acharyas share their faith with the world. Take advantage of their mercy by studying Shastra in the association of advanced devotees. In this way, your faith will surely grow. And so if we become steady, then we'll develop more and more of a taste and attachment for bhakti and the object of bhakti, Krishna, just as we hear Srila Narottam uh, describe is, is the case for Hanuman, for example. So Hanuman has such deep taste, deep attachment for Lord Ram. And so the stage of a, a shakti or attachment is where one has real attachment for a particular form of Bhagavan. But of course, we have, must reach and pass through the stages of steadiness and taste first. But it's a beautiful example of attachment uh, to, to one's Lord in Hanuman. Um, another nice example comes in the form of Anupam, who's another Ram Bhakta. It's interesting, the Ram Bhaktas come up quite a lot. Um, and so Anupam, uh, Sri, for those who aren't familiar, uh, Sri Rupa and Sanatan Goswami, uh, they, they had a brother named Vallabha or Anupam. He, he was actually the father of uh, Srila Jiva Goswami. And so these three brothers, uh, Rupa, Sanatan, Anupam, one night, they made a pact together uh, to spend their lives together worshipping Radha Govinda. Um, but at that night, the night after making the pact, uh, anu Anupam, he couldn't sleep all night. He was just up uh, all night in this dilemma, this mental anguish, because his true attraction was for Ram and Ram Leela. And so in the morning, he told his two brothers his dilemma. And when Mahaprabhu heard this, uh, he said, glorious is that devotee who would not give up his Lord and glorious is that Lord who would not give up his devotee. So he, he was very, very satisfied to hear that kind of devotion. And it's, it's a nice and interesting point. It's nice that Srila Narutam uh, gives this example too. Because sometimes people think that this exclusivity is limiting but it's actually a beautiful expression of genuine love. Uh, just because one has exclusive attachments, uh, it doesn't mean, for example, they put down other forms of the Lord and so on. You know, all forms of the Lord are appreciated. And we can see that right here in this song. We, we see Srila Narutam appreciating a devotee of Lord Ram, even though that's not his particular persuasion, if you will. But, but this bias, it, it's a beauty of the spiritual world. And so... We hear a lot, especially in the Gita, for example, but in other places too, we hear a lot about equal vision in yoga. And of course, we do have that in different ways in bhakti, this equal vision. Um, but there also is a particular discrimination or a bias in bhakti. For example, like we're describing a bias for Krishna or a bias for Ram or toward particular practices in bhakti and so on. And so it's variegated. That's the nature of bhakti. It's very variegated, especially compared to the realization that the yogis and the jnanis aspire for, for example. 
And even Krishna himself, in the fourth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, he points this out, that he reciprocates differently with different people according to how they approach him. And so actually, I sometimes said that this bias is Krishna's most wonderful quality, right? The, the phrase that's often used to describe it is Bhaktavatsala, that he, he's prone to his devotees. Um, our Guru Maharaj sometimes points out that this is love psychology, you know? Uh, so it's, it's very beautiful uh, concepts, actually, a very beautiful conception of the absolute also. And so Srila Narutam, he gives this nice example of Hanuman, of someone who has this exclusive devotion, uh, something to aspire for. Uh, there, there's a nice pastime also uh, sometimes here that expresses this mood of Hanuman. Um, you, you, some of you may be familiar with it, where uh, Hanuman, he, he was once called by Krishna. I, uh, Krishna was in uh, Dvaraka, I think it was, uh, and he was called by Krishna. And so uh, Krishna sent Garuda um, to come and pick Hanuman up. And when uh, Garuda came to Hanuman, Hanuman said, I'll, I'll be there in a minute. And Garuda was a bit perplexed because he was told Hanuman is this great devotee. Uh, yet, you know, he wouldn't hop right on uh, Garuda's back and be taken to Krishna in Dwaraka. And so he tried again, but Hanuman responded uh, a little, uh, you know, detached or nonchalant, you know, I'll, I'll be there in a minute. And so Garuda went back and Krishna sent him again. But he told him, say that Ram wants to see Han Hanuman. And so Garuda went back. And when Garuda expressed this to Hanuman, uh, and he said, you know, to Hanuman, hop on, hop on my back, I'll take you. Hanuman said no, and just jumped away. And so Garuda was just like scratching his head, you know, like he's so bewildered. And as Garuda was uh, flying back to Dwaraka, he saw Hanuman coming back that way. Uh, he'd already been to see Ram. So Krishna was manifesting as Ram in Dwaraka. And so he was returning before Garuda had even uh, come. So we can see the intensity of devotion and that bias in the particular type of love. Uh, it, took, it took Ram to, to take him there like that, you know? <laughs> so ultimately, one-pointedness of mind is what is encouraged. And we see Krishna emphasize this several times uh, in the Gita and other places. And so Srila Narutam also encourages this one-pointedness the, in these verses at the end of this song. Then Srila Narutam, he goes on to make the point that although we're striving for one-pointedness, we, we don't criticize others, you know, even if they're striving for material things. Uh, for example, we're warned uh, in the offenses to the holy name. These, there's the 10 offenses to the holy name you're probably familiar with. And, uh, and one of those is not to criticize the Veda, uh, not to blaspheme the Vedic scripture. And so when, when we look at the Vedas as a whole, the majority of them actually, they relate to the material realm. You know, the, they're said to be mostly composed of the Karmakanda section. And Krishna even himself in the Gita, in the second chapter, he tells Arjuna not to be attracted to the flowery words of the Vedas. But at the same time, as we, as we hear in those 10 offenses, we aren't encouraged to denigrate such things. Everything has its purpose. They all have a purpose. And ultimately, they also come from the absolute. Um, I, I like the alternate translation of that verse where Srila Narutam says that we ourselves would never strive for such a thing. You know, we're, we're taught not to strive for such a thing, such as the rewards that are offered by the demigods, for example. But for those who do strive and attain those things, say, okay, well done, well done. But 
Really, those in knowledge know that the demigods actually would shower their blessings fully on and be pleased with anyone who strives for and attains such a level of steady, exclusive worship to Sri Sri Radha Krishna, uh, a, goal, a goal that is so much higher than any material benefits or, or even spiritual benefit. Um, so Srila Narutam, uh, he, he, he makes this point uh, uh, very nicely and then goes on to, to instruct us further um, how, how to cultivate this steadiness and so on. And so he, he goes on to instruct us to live in the dharm. Uh, and of course, we should understand this properly. Uh, there are many points could be made on this. Uh, there are some, some devotees, for example, who are sufficiently purified in their, their sadhana and through service, who continue to cultivate their sadhana, uh, their raganuga bhakti, by just sitting and chanting in the dham, in Vrajdham, for example, without distraction, remembering the leelas of Radha Krishna 24 hours a day. Uh, sometimes this, this can uh, be there in higher stages of sadhana, for example. And this can't be imitated, especially if we're, we're not in those higher stages, especially when our senses are not controlled. So we're advised to engage in practical service and gradually our hearts will be purified. But even of those whose hearts are purified, not all go and sit in Vrindavan, for example, and engage in Nambhajan, in meditation on the holy name and the leelas and so on. Uh, there are other great devotees who engage in Sankirtan, for example, who preach the Lord's glories. Uh, but what is, what is true for both, though, uh, both of these types of devotees, is that their minds are one-pointed. They're absorbed in Krishna. They're just fully absorbed in Krishna. And so... Like I say, we, we can't imitate it if we're not in the later stages, uh, for example, of Nishta, Ruchi, Ashakti, and so on. Uh, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't remember the Dham or we shouldn't remember the pastimes of Krishna. We are advised to, of course we should. Uh, but to have advanced meditation on them requires a pure heart. And so therefore, we're also advised to meditate on Guru Seva. Not that we give that up at any point, but, um, but we're especially early on, uh, we meditate on Guru Seva, on Kirtan, for example, of Krishna Nam, and meditation on Krishna Nam in the form of Japa. The, these are the things that we meditate on, for example. And of course, we also hear so much about the Dham and the activities that take place there, you know, the beautiful pastimes and so on. The more our mind is connected there, the more our mind naturally goes there from hearing and so on, the better. And as steadiness is achieved, and we lose taste for material things, those things that actually cause misery, then we'll just want to be in the association of the residents of Raj. So Srila Rupa Goswami, he makes this point in, in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. Uh, so in verse 1, 2, 294, uh, Srila Rupa Goswami, he says, remembering the Vrindavan form of Krishna and his dear associates who have inclinations for service similar to one's own, Absorbing, absorbing oneself in hearing topics related to them, one should always live in Raj. And so commenting on this verse, uh, both Srila Jiva Goswami and Srila Vishwanath Chakravati Thakur, they say that if one can't live there, the person should still live there mentally. So ultimately, we want to make our own minds Raj. But as, as I'm sure uh, many of us have experienced in earlier stages, 
that's not always so easy to make your mind budge. <laughs> so, but, we, but what we can do, what is practical for it, for us and appropriate for, for example, for many of our um, level level of advancement, you know, to have that steadiness we talked about earlier, uh, the Bhakti Vinod speaks about real piety, if you will. What we can do is take shelter and hear from those whose minds of Raj. So in his purport to Chaitanya Charitamrita, uh, in the Madhya Leela, chapter 13, verse 137, Srila Prabhupada uh, writes something nice uh, in relation to this. He says, the mind's activities are thinking, feeling, and willing, by which the mind accepts materially favorable things and rejects the unfavorable. This is the consciousness of people in general. But when one's mind does not accept and reject, but simply becomes fixed on the lotus feet of Krishna, then one's mind becomes as good as Vrindavan. Wherever Krishna is, there, there also are Srimati Radharani, the gopis, the cowherd boys, and all the other inhabitants of Vrindavan. Thus, as soon as one, one fixes Krishna in his mind, his mind becomes identical with Vrindavan. In other words, when one's mind is completely free from all material desires and is engaged only in the service of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, then one always lives in Vrindavan and nowhere else. So, of course, it's nice to go to Vrindavan physically. We shouldn't take away from that. There are many statements to that effect, and I'm sure anyone who's been has experienced that. It's very nice to go to Vrindavan physically. There are many benefits. But we mostly, we don't just want to go, for example, as spiritual tourists and these kind of things. What we mostly want, the essence of all these things, is to be with those whose minds are Vrindavan. The, the nature of such minds, the nature of Vrindavan Dham, for example, is such that it facilitates the service of Krishna in every way. And the more we're absorbed in service of Krishna, uh, the more we're in Vrindavan, and, and the more fearlessness will come as a result of this steady faith. And so Srila Narutam points that out also about this fearlessness. Even in, in uh, self-realization in general, other, even, uh, you know, to realize the Atma and so on, when one truly realizes that they exist eternally, then all fear goes, it said. So re re really fear, when we, we look at fear, fear is there because of our identification with temporary manifestations of matter. And so we, we're not really conscious uh, or, or in knowledge of the extent to how much we really exist and, and the purpose of our existence. So we have this perception of death, for example, this perception that non-existence is chasing us. Uh, and so we, we try to overcome this in different ways. Uh, you know, and this is really what is said to be the struggle for material existence, that we try to add things on to our identity, for example, in this material world. And so self-realization is the end of this struggle because we, we start to realize that we exist in all conditions, actually. There's nothing to fear. Fear pervades material consciousness because material consciousness uh, involves this identification with those things that don't endure. So pursuing spiritual life is the solution to fear. And uh, there's a nice verse that also uh, makes this point in Srimad Bhagavatam. Uh, so also the 11th canto, uh, second chapter, 37th verse, 
so this verse. Vayam vitiya binivesatasyad ishad apetasya viparya yosmriti tanmaya yato buddha abajetang paktyai kaye shanguru devatatma. Fear arises when a living entity misidentifies himself as the material body because of absorption in the external illusory energy of the Lord. When the living entity thus turns away from the Supreme Lord, he also forgets his own constitutional position as a servant of the Lord. This bewildering, fearful condition is affected by the potency of illusion called Maya. Therefore, an intelligent person should engage unflinchingly in the unalloyed devotional service of the Lord under the guidance of a bona fide spiritual master whom he should accept as his worshipful deity and, and as his very life and soul. And so, of course, in our practical reality, wherever we may be as sadhakas and, and so on, you know, we have to deal with our humanity, our tendencies, etc., and practice according to where we are. But it should be with the intention of walking in that direction, in the direction of ultimate reality. Uh, our ultimate purpose is to love. And, and we see in his final verse, uh, Srila Narutam say that with firm faith and fearlessness, he always desires the service of their lordships, Sri Sri Radha Krishna, in all respects. And so uh, he says this with such humility as well. We see such humility in Srila Narutam at the end. Our Guru Maharaj, he writes about humility, that um, in the second verse of his Shikshashtakam, Sri Chaitanya speaks with lamentation as well as with humility, Utila Vishada Danya. Taking the position of a sadhaka, Mahaprabhu is lamenting his unfortunate condition, which causes his heart to overflow with Danya, humility. A sadhaka should feel that like this, as excuse me, as sincere humility attracts the grace and sympathy of Sri Krishna Nam, which in turn terminates once and for all the sorrowful sojourn of Samsal. Therefore, Sri Krishna Das Kaviraj Goswami comments that although Mahaprabhu expresses lamentation in the second verse of Shikshashtakam. All sorrow is silenced on hearing the verse's significance, Yahara Artha Shuni Sabha Yaya Dukha Shoka. Regardless of how fallen one may be, sincerely acknowledging one's own one's condition and subsequently feeling humility attracts sympathy and thus the power to rise above material conditioning beyond that which lies within oneself. Sriman Mahaprabhu, the great master, teaches us this lesson here. One's unfortunate condition, Durdaivam, when sincerely acknowledged and understood, begets a natural humility that attracts the sympathy of Krishna Nam, and thus a solution to the dilemma posed in the second stanza of Shikshashtakam. Humility and the desire to overcome Anartha's bad habits do not cause all anarthas to immediately disappear, but because they attract the sympathy of Krishna Nam, 
he stays with such sadhakas in spite of their background of offenses, and thus they are gradually purified by his grace as their nam bhajan becomes steady. That's a very beautiful um, quote there. And our Guru Maharaj there, he's, he's referring to verse uh, 15 in Chaitanya Charitamrita, Anchalila, chapter 20, where Mahaprabhu speaks Shikshashtakam. And so this verse uh, introduces the second verse of Shikshashtakam. So I'll read the both verses together. It says, Lamentation and humility awoke within Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and he began reciting another of his own verses. <clears throat> By hearing the meaning of that verse, one can forget all unhappiness and lamentation. My Lord, O Supreme Personality of Godhead, in your holy name, there is all good fortune for the living entity, and therefore you have many names, such as Krishna and Govinda, by which you expand yourself. You have invested all your potencies in those names, and there are no hard and fast rules for remembering them. My dear Lord, although you bestow such mercy upon the fallen, conditioned souls by liberally teaching your holy names, I am so unfortunate that I commit offenses while chanting the holy name, and therefore I do not achieve attachment for chanting. So <clears throat> only Krishna can help us overcome Maya Devi. He, he points this out in Bhagavad Gita also uh, in verse 14 of the uh, seventh chapter. So you, you may be familiar with this verse where he says, this divine energy of mine, uh, this divine energy of mine consisting of the three modes of material nature, it's very difficult to overcome. But those who have surrendered unto me can easily cross beyond it. So worshiping him wholeheartedly uh, you know, for example, in the beginning as omnipotent, uh, omnipresent, and omniscient, uh, being the, the controller of Maya, and by, by taking total refuge in him solely and faithfully with enthusiasm, with confidence, with patience, these qualities that are often uh, emphasized, then with devotion and this unshakable perseverance, then one is able to overcome this insurmountable Maya. And so hearing and chanting about his charming leelas, for example, is the primary means of surrender. And as the propensity to love is there inherent in all of us, in all souls, and Krishna, one, one uh, meaning of Krishna, as we know, is the all attractive. He's that irresistible uh, manifestation of the absolutes, that everyone's attracted to him in some way. Then surrender to him really is easy and natural. Uh, that especially as we understand this more and more, uh, you know, he says, anyone who surrenders unto me, uh, and sometimes the Acharyas, they translate that as the form of Shamasundar, they like to often emphasize as Vraj Krishna, like that. Uh, then anyone who surrenders unto me, Krishna says, crosses over this Maya. <clears throat> it's very sweet uh, when you study um, the commentaries there. Uh, so when Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur, when he's commenting on this 714 of the Gita, uh, he comments that Krishna touches his own chest. He says, believe me, you know, have faith in my words. Uh, it's a very, very sweet exchange with Arjuna. And in his commentary, our Guru Maharaj, he, he points out that Maya, fearful of being uprooted by the strength of devotion, withdraws from such a person. 
So we want to be, become more and more like that. We want to be more and more absorbed and attached to Krishna. And then we have some hope of overcoming the material tendencies that are described in this song earlier on, for example. So Narutam uh, Thakur, he, he shows such humility there. He, he, as we know, he's a great devotee. You know, one just has to read about him, you know, read his prayers, read his songs and so on uh, to understand what, what such an exalted and great devotee he is. But he feels like a non-devotee. Um, and of course, we can't imitate him. Uh, you know, false humility, I'm not a devotee and these kind of things. But sometimes we may feel like that um, in a genuine way. Uh, sometimes in our dips on the road to Tanishta, we may also feel like a non-devotee. Um, and so what's the best thing to do? You know, should we just give up? Okay, there's no hope for me. I'm not a devotee and these kind of things. And of course not. We, we should follow in Srila Narutam Das Thakur's example and pray with humility to Krishna to help us, to Guru to help us and so on. And so mukti or liberation, Krishna gives very readily, but really does he give bhakti uh, in the fullest sense where he subordinates himself to, to love, to praying. This is one of the qualities of praying given by uh, Srila Rupa Goswami in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, uh, that he, he is controlled by such love. And so, of course, you know, it's, no one's going to be able to jump there, and especially not before our material tendencies are overcome, you know, our self-centeredness is overcome and these kind of things. So, and so it may take some time, you know, while we're in that Cheto Darpana marginum stage of, of cleansing the heart. Um, and so it may take some time, and it requires that we become steady. We, we should sometimes, like we've said, our interim goal is this steadiness. But we should also know and have hope have optimism that we will be successful though, that it's assured if we're, we're doing our part and practicing according to where we are, then it's assured that we'll be successful because what we're connected with, what our ideal is, that's what we'll become. And of course the ideal being uh, Prema Bhakti. Um, and so our Guru Maharaj uh, makes this point, you know, that, that we'll be judged uh, very generously by Mahaprabhu if that's really our ideal. And so it's important to have some emphasis on the goal. You know, it's a very extraordinary goal. It's very rarely found. Our goal is very high, but our path, like we were saying, is comparatively easy, especially compared to other paths, you know, that require like extreme uh, renunciation and, and other things. Um, really, you know, the, the essence of our path in many ways, of course, there's a lot more to it as we dig deeper, but really the essence is simplicity um, in, in hearing and chanting about Krishna. Um, this is, um, you know, sometimes said that, uh, you know, simple for the simple, Srila Prabhupada would say that, right? Simple for the simple. And, and, and although, of course, we have many complexities to deal with, we have the anarthas to kind of face, if you will, and it's not always comfortable. It's not always a comfortable process, but the process itself is really a simple process, an easy process. It's, it's hearing, but also hearing with a service attitude, you know, and so also cultivating this serving disposition. Um, and so it requires efforts, of course, but it's mostly mercy. And so our effort, as sometimes said, our effort is to attract the mercy. Uh, and so may we all pray for and strive for that mercy. Um, and so with that, I think we'll end here. And, and, and we'll also be ending our discussions uh, on the second song of Sri Narutam Das Thakur's Prema Bhakti Chandraka. Um, of course, so much more could have been said on, on, on these things. Uh, because it's such a, a beautiful song, beautiful and deep song. I mean, all the songs are in the songbook. 
Um, but I guess, yeah, if anyone would like to share anything or, or ask any questions, then please feel free to unmute yourself or, or write in the chat uh, before we wrap it up for today. Okay, well, thank you all for being with us, uh, whether that's now or, or in the future on YouTube. Um, oh, sorry, I just saw that there is a message in the chat there. Um, oh, very nice, from Shraddha Devi. She says, uh, Pranam, uh, the word fearlessness helps me to not be afraid that the distractions of samsara would interfere with our service and have faith in our intentions as sadhanas. I th think she means sadhakas, but yeah, very, very beautiful, um, Shraddha Devi. Uh, this is interesting, this, this fearlessness comes up quite a lot, doesn't it? Um, uh, even I guess you can say like the conclusion of the Gita also, uh, where Krishna says, uh, don't fear, you know, Masujaha. <laughs> so um, uh, yeah, it's very, um, very, uh, yeah, just just very powerful, very very powerful, like you say. And and sometimes we can see if if fear is creeping in and, and these kind of things, then then maybe we need to just recalibrate and think. Well, where where is my mind? You know, what what is my mind absorbed in? Is it one pointed? How, how one pointed is it? And what is it focused on? What are the things that it's focused on? And so sometimes in the earlier stages, in the dips and so on of Anishtabhajana Kriya, then we can recalibrate and bring it back to hearing and chanting. I often find that in 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 times where I felt. Uh, maybe a little more disconnected in these things. Uh, when I observe myself, I, I see I, I'm, I'm not hearing as much as uh, maybe I should be. And then if I put on uh, some classes, for example, you know, connect with the Vaishnavas, then, um, uh, you know, obviously, uh, so I, I just feel, I feel, I'm sure you all have this experience, you know, I feel, I feel so much more inspired, enthused, connected. Uh, and you start to forget about those things that were kind of like so much heavier before. <laughs> Um, and so Shraddha is also asking, uh, can you say the 11th Canto reference again? Um, so I, I think I quoted uh, two quotes from the 11th Canto. Um, so the first one was uh, the one in regards to steadiness um, in, in one's own position. And so that was uh, from the 11th Canto, uh, 11.21.2. So that's 11.21.2. Um, and then uh, the second um, uh, verse from, from the Srimad Bhagavatam, uh, this was the, the one about fearlessness. I guess that's the one you're referring to because you're asking, speaking about fearlessness. Um, that's uh, from 11 to uh, 37. So um, 11 to 37. Um, so yeah, that, that's a beautiful, I, I really, maybe I'll just read it quickly again uh, one last time because it's a very nice meditation for us to end things on. Uh, fear arises when a living entity misidentifies himself as the material body because of absorption in the external illusory energy of the Lord. When the living entity thus turns away from the Supreme Lord, he also forgets his own constitutional position as a servant of the Lord. This bewildering, fearful condition is affected by the potency of illusion called Maya. Therefore, an intelligent person should engage unflinchingly in the unalloyed devotional service of the Lord, 
under the guidance of a bona fide spiritual master whom he should accept as his worshipful deity and as his very life and soul. So, yeah, so next time, um, we, we'll put Prima Bhakti Chandraka on pause for now. And I, I hope that we will return to it in the future because there's so many more wonderful songs uh, in, in this songbook. Uh, and so I recommend in the meantime, do go ahead and read all the songs. It's not very long. Take you less than an hour to read the whole book. Um, if that, um, it's, uh, but, it, but very beautiful, but very beautiful. And, um, but we're gonna just put it on pause for now. And we're gonna start an in-depth study of uh, Bhagavad Gita. Um, so we're going to look at the commentaries of many of our acharyas and hopefully have some discussions uh, together of how we can apply these things in our own pursuit of bhakti. Um, so yeah, so with that, I'm going to wrap up and, and say thank you. Vanchakalpa Tarubhyascha, Kripasindubhya Evacha, Patitanam Pavanebhyo, Vaishnavebhyo, Namo Namaha.